Come on, let's welcome the Chapel Scots edition. Love you guys. Come on, let's welcome the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail. We love you. Love you. Would you do me a favor today and remain standing? Would you remain standing? We're going to do something different uh, over the next three weeks. Is it okay if we do something different? And that is, uh, you know, some of you maybe grew up in uh, liturgical churches where they did readings out loud together. How about if we just do a little bit of that today? And, uh, and we're launching a brand new series in, um, in one of the great chapters of the Bible, Psalm 23. And, and so we're going to start our message each weekend just by quoting uh, Psalm 23 together. And just so you know how this, um, how this comes, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, there's a guy named Ezra who was a a priest and a scholar who opened the word of God and all the people stood. It was a way of just um, just giving reverence to God's word. And, and the Bible says they said, amen, amen, and uh, gave their attention to God's word. And so we're going to read together God's word uh, this weekend. And we're going to do this at the start, this whole series, next three weeks, just saying God's word together. We believe there's power in saying God's word. Is that okay? All right. Come on. So we're going to put that scripture up on the screen and Come on, let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house. If you're comfortable this morning, would you just hold your hands out like this before we're, just before we're seated? What if we just gave um, just a pause? God, this morning we've gathered in Richmond and in Midlothian and online and in Chesterfield County Jail. And God, so much goes on in our life. It gets so busy and so chaotic and so many voices. So God, I invite you over the next few minutes to speak uh, the loudest voice in our life, the clearest voice in our life strongest voice in our life we hit pause on all the things that we brought in all the burdens all the challenges God we just lay them at your feet they'll be there when we're done but God for the next 30 minutes as we open our hearts to your word would you speak to us would you talk to us God you know every need of every person God in this room you know every need of every person in Richmond and online God and we just we look to you you're the God who sustains us and guides us and directs us and so god we pray that prayer that samuel the prophet uh, prayed before us speak lord for your servants are listening and we believe you're going to do it through your word in jesus name amen before you're seated tell a person around you i'm glad you came to church today come on tell them i'm glad you came to church today and you can be seated Hey, uh, well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. And I wanted to just remind you of something you heard a little bit earlier in the service, and that's called Launch Sunday. And man, uh, you all are amazing. It was so powerful last weekend. 
to see so many people filling out commitment cards. And I just want you to know I'm blown away by the generosity of our church. So many strong commitments made. They're incredible. And next weekend, we wanna, we're calling it Launch Weekend. Come on, somebody say Launch Weekend where we start this journey, we get going together, and uh, we have incredible news. We're going to bring you some updates of incredible progress that's happening on this initiative. But but I do know uh, the commitments are still streaming in. The, a lot of people are still online. You can fill that out online, or you can fill this card out, and you just drop it at our giving any of our giving stations there, and it's just letting us prepare for what's going to happen. I can't wait. I'm tempted to share a little bit of good news this weekend, but I'm going to wait, okay? I'm going to wait till next weekend, uh, but I just want to thank you all of you that are are jumping into this process and do want to say to you uh, it's not too late to jump in and we can't wait to get this started launched and and we're doing all this to make space for people to worship Jesus and so come on can we just give a shout out to the lobby today come on people in the lobby thank you guys love you I can see you through the doors and and uh, I just want to say if you're new here today and you're sitting in the lobby next is about fixing the lobby and uh helping us have people fit in the room. Come on, somebody. And uh, so thanks for your patience in this. I also wanted to let you know that God's doing great things at our 430 service. So I'm just saying, if you ever, you ever, and, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit is there. And not only that, we're doing like hot dogs and we're going to start up bounce houses. And somebody said, you're going you're gonna to bribe people to come to the 430? And I said, absolutely, we're going to. And uh, But thanks for your flexibility as we're in this season and making space for all God has for us. And next weekend, we'll launch our time jump in. And uh, we're so excited. I can't wait to share all the incredible things that you, God's people, are committing to for God to do a great work in our city. Well, today we're launching a brand new series in Psalm 23. And man, it's, it's probably the most known psalm in the Old Testament. The Lord is my shepherd. I mean, everybody kind of knows this psalm. You might have it on a, on a picture or you just heard it growing up and... And, and sometimes familiar portions of scripture can almost become uh, confused in our brain or we gloss over them. We don't really acknowledge them. So we thought we'd take a deep dive in Psalm 23 where, where David reminds us, I love these words, that the Lord is, come on, somebody is, whose shepherd? My shepherd. This ain't just about the shepherd. This is about my shepherd, okay? This is about a personal connection to God. In fact, maybe you're new here today at the chapel and you say, Pastor, what is the chapel all about? Uh, we are about our number one vision. We have three points, but our number one is to help people come to know God. That's why we exist as a church. We're not just a country club, not just trying to have kids' classes, not just trying to make a difference in our world. We're trying to do all that. But above all else, our greatest passion as a church is to see people come to know Jesus Christ. You know, that already today at 8.15 and 9.30 in Midlothian and 9.30 in Scott's Edition, like 15, 18 people have made decisions for Jesus Christ today. Come on, somebody. That's why we do as a church. It's what we're all about. And, uh, and because it's about people having a personal connection to God. That's the vision of our church, that people would come to know God. That people would come to what? They come to... No God, that's what we do. And I always tell everybody it's K-N-O-W. It's not no God. That would be a weird church. It's K-N-O-W, no God that way, right? And, uh, and, and, and that's what the psalmist gets us going. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And, 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 and here's what he's teaching us, that God has made us for relationship with him. In fact, in these six verses, these short little six verses of Psalm 23, David uses the pronoun I, me, my 17 times in these short six verses because he's, he's connected to his shepherd in a personal way. This isn't just theory for David. This is his personal 
his personal reality. And he's telling the story of his own connection to God. The Lord is my shepherd. And this word Lord that David begins to describe himself, uh, the Lord as, is the, is the Hebrew word Yahweh, which means powerful God. How many know God is powerful, right? In fact, uh, in fact, theologians kind of divide it up in three ways. They say that God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere, all places. That he's omniscient, meaning he knows all. And he's omnipotent, meaning he's all powerful. So God is all present and he's all knowing and he's all powerful. How many believe that about God? Flex moment, right? Yeah. Like God's strong and powerful. And yet it's amazing because David says the Lord, who's this great God, knows everything, flung everything into existence, has all power. How could the Lord become a lowly? The Lord becomes my shepherd. And that's the incredible thing about the Christian faith. In fact, it's what sets it apart from any other world religion. Because all the other world religions have a God that's transcendent, but they don't have a God that's imminent. Meaning they have a God that's up and out, but they don't have a God who's close and near. The Christian faith alone says God's not only big and holy and powerful and mighty, he chose to get close to us in in this human earth. That God, the creator of the universe, put on human skin in Jesus Christ, was born of a baby and entered into our world. And he lived and died and, 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 and lived his life and he has come to be close to us. Aren't you glad for a God that's close, right? It's one thing to have all power. It's another thing to be close to us. And, and David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And he rolls out this picture of how God guides us into, into our future. And in fact, the human author, his name is David, and he was the king of Israel. But before he was the king of Israel, anybody know what uh, occupation he was? Hint, hint. He was, <laughs> he was a shepherd, right? In fact, he was, um, he was out watching his father's sheep when the prophet came to anoint the next king of Israel and his dad didn't even think to call him to the party. And the prophet came through looking, saying God was going to anoint one of these sons as the next king. And he went through each one, no, 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 no. And he finally turns to Jesse and says, are these all your sons? And Jesse actually says, well, there is one more, but he's... You don't want him. He's the shepherd out in the field. He's not king material. And God brings him in in First Samuel 16, 7. And God actually says, don't look at the outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God doesn't see as, as human beings. How many know God sees the heart, not the outward appearance? And he corrects him and he says, no, this is, this is that, that literally he was prepared to be king by, by the measly job of shepherd in the fields, right? I mean, shepherding in the ancient world was not a, not a, a desirable uh, occupation. I mean, you were living in the fields with sheep, walking with them and <laughs> talking with them and cleaning up after them. Come on and stepping in, you know what I mean, right? And, and in that process, in fact, they were seen as, as not really uh, uh, part of the culture of the day. And when God describes his relationship to his people, David says, God, this great God of the universe has come to be our shepherd. He's come to be close to it. He's, come, he's my shepherd, personally related to me. Around uh, World War I, as, as, air, uh, as flight was becoming more and more a, a thing in our world, a pilot was... was taking the first trip around the world and he landed on the east coast in North Carolina to gas up and was going to make a four-hour trip across the ocean 
And as he was about two hours into the journey, having taken off the East Coast, in the middle of the ocean, he heard a gnawing sound. And it turns out a rat was gnawing on wires in his plane. How many know that's a big problem, right? And the pilot thought, oh, no. And, uh, but it was two hours from land either way. And he thought, I don't know what I'm going to do in this moment. And history tells us he had an idea, which was, well, you know, rats are made to live on the ground. So I wonder if I'd just go higher, if, if I could smoke them out, you know. And so he literally just raised the nose of his plane and went up three or 4,000 feet. And the rat falls dead in the plane, okay. And literally, it was a way of ending the problem. And You know, when I read that, I thought to myself, that's sometimes how we got to deal with our human issues. The answer to our human problems don't oftentimes have answers that have human solutions on this earth. Sometimes the answer is to get closer to our shepherd, fly a little higher into his presence, connect more personally in relationship with him, and the problems of our life can drop off of us, right? And so the the psalmist, David, is reminding his people, the Lord is a close God. He's a shepherd. He's one who wants to be near you and with you. In fact, he goes on to say, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, you know. Any of you grow up memorizing this in the King James Version? Okay, for me, it's almost hard to read it in the NIV. Because when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, I say, oh, I can't say it like that. Come on, anybody know King Jimmy? Anybody? Uh, Come on, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall what? Come on, I shall not want. I mean, that's a strong statement. Imagine moms and dad going to your kids on Christmas and saying, what do you want for Christmas? And they say, I, you've been so good to me. I shall not want anything. I mean, this is a strong statement. And here's what it's declaring, that we have a shepherd that can take care of us so much that all of our needs are met in our God. There's an Old Testament phrase for this, El Shaddai, which means the one who takes care of his people. I'm here to remind you in the middle of rising gas prices and uncertainty in the world, we have a God who takes care of his people. We just do. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I don't lack anything. God takes care of me. In fact, let me show you how this good shepherd takes care of me. He makes me lie down in green pastures, right? He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. This would be shocking in the ancient world because it's a rugged, arid terrain. You know, it's dry. There aren't, isn't a lot of green pastures, and there aren't a lot of quiet waters, And the sheep wouldn't always know where to go in in desert-like terrain. But there's a shepherd who knows the path to the oasis, (laughs) to the spring in the desert, to the quiet waters. He's going to lead them and guide them. Not only do we have a shepherd that, that helps us with relationship, but come on, we have a shepherd that helps us with resource. I shall not want. And it's a shepherd who leads his sheep. Now, I don't know if you know this, but, but shepherd, uh, sheep are not terribly uh, uh, imposing animals. They're kind of the most uh, needy of all the livestock. In fact, I want you to do me a favor this weekend. Would you help me welcome Kona? Come on, Kona's going to come and welcome me today. Come on, let's welcome Kona, can we, today? So this is Kona. Kona is, KJ told me Kona's five Five weeks old. old. A very good eater she is. And she's been with us all day. But you know what happened when Kona came into the room? Nobody thought, oh, I'm scared, right? Nobody was imposed. 
by Kona. Nobody thought Kona, is that it? Man, Kona just devoured that. Don't look at me. Uh, And you know, Kona needs a little bit, Kona's a little wobbly. Kona's very greedy. Kona's very needy. And in the ancient world, uh, I hate to tell you, when God tried to describe us, God was like, if I could describe KJ and Brandon in one way, you know what I would do? I would make it this sheep. Come on. You know, in the ancient world, uh, sheep, sheep, in order to rest, needed a number of things. It had to be free from pests. I feel like she doesn't like it when I touch her. Uh, it's okay, I swear. And so they would actually put, anoint the sheep's head with oil, which was a way to keep pests and mosquitoes away. It was like the essential oils of the ancient world. And, uh, and not only that, you'd have to create uh, freedom from friction. In fact, when we were getting this, shep, this sheep today... Um, one of the admins that was searching it said, they said they have to bring two sheep. And I said, well, I only want one sheep. And they said, well, they don't travel alone. They get lonely. I said, man, that'll preach. And, uh, <laughs> but shepherds had this task of caring for these needy, uh, come on. Sheep are a little bit high maintenance. Come on. They can, do you know, they can actually get in arguments with other sheep. They can be easily mis- misled. He, he, she'd just walk off the stage. It feels like right now, no idea that hundreds of people are right here, but still just lock in. And when God described us, he, he put us in this needy livestock, this, this high maintenance creature. And here's what he said. Us as sheep are reliant upon him as the shepherd. Kona, it has been our joy to have you with us all day. Come on, let's give it up for Kona. Thank you, man. In fact, turn to the person next to you and tell them you're high maintenance. Come on, just tell them that. Come on, all over the room, just turn person. Turn to the person on the other side of you and say, you are too. Come on, just tell them. Say, I don't know them. Just tell them. You're high maintenance. In fact, at both Next Step stations, we have this book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. They're only $5 if you want one as we're taking just a deep dive into Psalm 23 because shepherds tell us that, that sheep can only rest when they have three or four things happen. They have to be free from fear. So they have to know that they're protected by the shepherd. It's why later on in this chapter, it will say your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The staff has a hook to pull the sheep back in, but the rod is a strong weapon that could be used to defend the sheep against other predators. They had to be free from fear. Did you know they're social animals? They had to be free from friction with other sheep. I don't know how shepherds do it, but they have to solve disputes from other between sheep like come on guys let's get over it you know let's come on free from fear free from friction they had to be well fed they couldn't be hungry and we've been feeding Kona all day so I'd hate to see the back hall and uh but free from hunger, well taken care of. And not only that, they, they, they're, they're, they're easily agitated. So free from pests, mosquito bugs around. And the shepherd had to do all that to get the sheep to rest. And yet a good shepherd, here's what it would do. He would care for his sheep. He would, he would, he would help his sheep find a, a place of provision. And when, when David was describing who God is and who we are, he said, we're like sheep that have all these different needs totally reliant upon God. No one ever said, well, that sheep, you know, I live in a dangerous neighborhood. I'm going to get a sheep to protect us, you know. 
but despite all of its neediness, how many know our security comes from the goodness of our shepherd, not the strength of ourself? And he says, God's not only made us for relationship, but he's, but he's, he's made us uh, to, to trust our resources come for him. And he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Come on, somebody, just write this down. He has made us for rest. Come on. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside what? Still waters. Isn't it amazing how when you're a kid, naps are a big, terrible thing that adults make kids take? And how many know when you get older, you're like, you know what sounds amazing right now? A nap. In fact, I'm convinced the only reason Katie's like, you want to, I say, you want to watch a show? And she's like, you're just going to go to sleep. And I'm like, that's why I put the TV on just to go to sleep. You know, I mean, like uh, how many of you love a good Sunday nap? Can I get a witness? Amen. Yeah. And here, here's what, here's what the psalmist teaches us that, that our shepherd is good at leading us, but he leads us in green pastures. And not only that, he will sometimes have to make us lie down in green. Let me just say this. We were made as human beings to have rhythms of work and rhythms of rest, to have rhythms of work and rhythms of what? Come on. Rest. And I think we've made a badge in our culture out of busyness. Busyness is a really cool thing. We wear it overwork. Workaholism is, means we're good, right? I didn't use all my vacation. Yeah. I never take time off. Woo. You never talk to somebody and say, how you doing? And they say, great, I'm rested. Nobody says that. Oh, I'm working hard. Me too. Working hard. Working harder. Oh, totally working hard. Working harder. And I really believe that when the psalmist says he makes me lie down in green pastures, here's what he's saying, that God has made us for rhythms of work and rest. And we can either choose to rest or he will make us lie down in green pastures. You ever seen somebody that pushed it too hard and they had to rest a way they didn't want to rest, you know? In fact, from the very beginning, God, first chapters of the Bible, God's creating this whole world. And he's setting up some patterns in scripture for how we're to live. And he says, as he made the whole world, it was very good. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Look at this, because on the seventh day, God what? God rested. Now, let me ask you a theological question. Does God need rest? No. How many know God doesn't get tired? Right? We can change the sermon if we don't know this. But God's never like, oh, boy, can't keep up with you. So God isn't tired in this passage. He's resting on the seventh day to give us a pattern of what we should do. He's, he's setting a model for us. On the seventh day, God rested and he called that day holy because he rested from all his work and all he had done in creation. That's what the Sabbath is. It's one day in seven set for worship and rest. And in fact, this is in the ancient world what set the nation of Israel apart from all the other nations of the world. All the other nations of the world work seven days a week. And the nation of Israel works six days a week. And actually the nations of the world would taunt God's people and say, man, we're going we're gonna to be so much more productive than them. We're going to accomplish more and more wealth, more power. Because they rest one day a week. But you know what's amazing? In the Old Testament, God's people got more done in six days than everybody else got in seven days. How many know God's man? is different it's different I'm telling you in fact now there have been business studies that actually show a law of diminishing return at 55 to 60 hours a week it turns out you can up people's uh, work weeks to even higher than that but they're no more productive than they are at about that number and because God already knew that 
And, and here's, how many know there's a principle? Come on, it's called Burger King and Chick-fil-A. Can I get a witness, okay? How many know Chick-fil-A's open, or Burger King's open seven days a week, right? Chick-fil-A rests on the Lord's Day. Because it's born again chickens. <laughs> and how many know I drive by them both and one's got a long line and the other one don't? Here's all I'm saying. When we take rhythms to rest, God sets his hand of blessing. We as human beings were made to have rhythms of work and rhythms of rest, right? In fact, John Ortberg says it this way. He says, hurry is not just a disordered schedule. It's a disordered heart, right? And we live in a hurried world. A hur- I think we live primarily in a world that's hurried and worried. And guess what? God is neither hurried nor worried. In fact, I, I, this is, I drive hurried. I don't know why it's a... It's a sinful part of me i just i get in the car and i just want to make good time everywhere i go so whenever katie's driving i say get in the left lane it's a shorter at the stoplight getting and she's like it's saturday we, we're not, we don't have to be anywhere in an hour and i said i just need you to be efficient here get in the left lane because if we get in the left lane we'll beat them because that lane ends a mile up that way and she's like what's it like to live your life i don't know Come on, anybody need to get saved in the car? Come on, just like, I, I'm saved except when I get there. And, and I think we live in a hurried and a worried culture. And, and Sabbath, a principle of rest, in fact, it was given as a gift to us. The Bible says Sabbath was a gift to us. It's not a restriction. Sabbath keeps our body from wearing out. Sabbath keeps our soul from burning out. And Sabbath keeps our spirit from tuning out. Literally, here's what God is teaching us, that one day in seven, we need to have rhythms of rest, rhythms of pausing, so that God can Fill up what we've poured out so we can be who God's called us to be. He's called us to rest. He's, he's, he's given us this principle, this picture in our lives where we learn how to push it and how to rest, how to work and how to pause. In fact, you know what I've discovered? Almost everything in life, when it, when it stops working, if you unplug it and plug it back in, it works again. Any of you remember the old Nintendo game sets? You take the, the car- <laughs> who, who remembers that? Anybody? You, I know you got to be over 20. There's this old cartridge. You do. <laughs> Miracle. <laughs> if something stops working, I'm like, it's fine. I know how to work it. I just unplug it and plug it back in. I just hold the button down. If I hold it, it'll come back. You want to know why? You know what I've discovered? Most things will work again if you just unplug it for a little while. And how many know that is exactly true for us? There is a speed limit to our soul. <laughs> And when you run on rhythms of, you know what it is? You know what it is? Never resting. It's saying we are God and he is not God. You want to know why? If you can't turn your phone off one day a week, believe me, the world will make it without you. You say, if I turn my phone off one day a week, you don't understand the whole, guess what? We'll all be here. We'll be just fine. And, and some of us need the rhythm of just unplugging a little. In fact, Jesus offers these words to those who are weary. Are you tired and worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. Look at those words. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Here's what I want to say this weekend. If we're living under the pressing demands of other people, then we aren't living the way God's designed us to live. God has designed us to live, Jesus said, freely and lightly. He says, take this yoke upon me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he's calling us 
us to have seasons of rest. Doctors say that it could be up to 70% of, of, of um, issues for, for medical visits could be related to stress-induced workaholism, right? Hey, we need to be a people who trust God, amen, and who learn the rhythms of rest. And the Bible says he restores he, he, he puts us down. He helps us lay down in paths of righteousness. Green pastures, still. You know what still waters indicate? That God is not hurried and God is not worried. In fact, there's a picture in Revelation chapter 5 that in front of the throne of God, the Bible says there's a sea in front of it that is still as glass. How many know a glass sea means there's no wind, there's no turbulence? That's what the rhythms of learning to rest are. They're just, how many know God is not hurried and God is not worried? You say, well, pastor, have you read the news today? Yes. God is not hurried and God is not worried. Do you know gas prices? Yes. God is not hurried and God is not worried. Come on, let's just say that out loud together. God is not what? God is not hurried and God is not worried. And we can trust in him. He leads me and guides me. And here's what he does. He, I love this. He restores my soul, right? I love this phrase, restores my soul. It's a picture of a God who literally is a God of not only rest, but a God of restoration. Do you know this is the whole story of the Bible? God restoring things to what they are. In fact, the Hebrew word restore here in uh, Psalm 23 simply means to return to its original intent. Isn't that so good? In fact, if you could kind of look at the whole Bible and bookend it, 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 it starts in a garden and ends in a garden. In Genesis 1, the whole uh, creation begins in this garden of perfection where men and women, the man and the woman can walk with God and they have uh, unbroken fellowship and communication with God. Then sin comes and the whole rest of the Bible is God redeeming. And in the end, Revelation 21 and 22 points ahead to God recreating a garden, saying what you messed up, I'm going to recreate and restore. I'm going to bring back to its original uh, 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 plan and purpose. Aren't you glad for a God who uses broken things? Aren't you glad for a God who refinishes and restores and works in some of our lives, right? In fact, this word, he restores my soul. We don't understand it, but shepherds would in, in, the, in the ancient world. It's referring to a cast sheep. Here's what a cast sheep is. When a sheep would go to, to sleep at night, if, it, if he laid in the wrong area, a, a depression or something in the ground, a, a divot, it, it could, the sheep could get off-centered and end up upside down with his feet in the air, right? Kind of a funny picture. But even though it's a funny picture, it could be dangerous for a sheep. Shepherds tell us if a sheep stays in that position long enough, the gases in its, in its system, intestines, stomach, and everything can back up and it can actually be fatal to a sheep. It can die. So here's what a good shepherd would do during the night. A good shepherd would wake up from his sleep and he would walk through his flock and he'd just look for hoofs in the air, right? And if the shepherd saw some hoofs in the air, he knew, okay, there's a cast sheep. He'd take the sheep and flip, her, flip him back on its stomach and save the sheep's life. That's a picture of he restored my soul. I wonder if there's any people in the room that are thankful that when we turn our lives the wrong way, upside down, there's still a God who flips us right side up and restores us. Anybody thankful for that today? Like a God who restores, a God who heals. God. In fact, it's a picture of restoration. In fact, the psalmist will go on to say, 
He guides me along these paths for his name's sake, for his, meaning that there's, that the shepherd's working not just for the good of the sheep, but for the good of the, of the uh, reputation of the shepherd. I want you to know something. God is so committed to saving you, not just because he loves you and me, but because he wants to prove that his name is true. Paul says to Timothy, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Has anybody today in Scott's edition or in Midlothian, anybody ever been unfaithful to God and he was still faithful to you? In fact, the Bible teaches that our salvation rests upon his grip, not our own. Uh, Friday night, Katie and... uh, Katie and my youngest daughter Piper were going to Target for a minute. I didn't want to go to Target. So I said, I'm going to go to Barnes and Noble across the street. Text me when you want to get picked up. And so I dropped them off at Target, went to Barnes and Noble, and they texted me time to time to get us. So I got in the car and I realized, oh man, I can't get this car. She's got the key. You know how you take the key and then I could drive away, but it didn't t- I didn't know. And I'm just like, oh. So I called her and I said, where's the key? And she said, oh, I've got the key. And I said, well, I've got the car. So it feels like this is a problem. And she said, oh, yeah, this is a problem. And I said, well, I'm going to Uber uh, to you because it was eight lanes across. the." She said, you can't Uber. It's a quarter mile away. I said, well, we can't walk across the street. She said, I'm going to walk across the street. I said, you can't walk. You'll get hit. It's dark. You can't walk across the street. I said, I don't, I don't know if you can walk fast enough with pipe. She said, and then she took that as a challenge. Oh, I can walk fast enough. And I said, well, you're going to get Piper hit. With the car, and she said, "I'll hold, uh, I'll have her hold my hand tight." And I remember just saying, "No, don't have her hold your hand tight. You better hold her hand tight." How many as a parent ever you ever told your kid, "Hold my hand tight, sweetie," but you weren't for a second trusting in the grip of your kid, right? Hey, hold my hand tw- tight, sweetie. But guess what? I have no confidence in your grip. But I know this: if I hold onto your hand, I will protect you. I might pull your fingers out of joint, but you and I are going to stay. I have great news this week, and we have a God whose grip is tighter than our grip. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. We're in the grip of his grace. In the grip of his grace. And the story of Psalm 23 is of a God. He came. He led me in green pastures beside still waters. But not only that. He restored my soul. There came a time in my life when I made a mess of my life. And he came and he restored my soul. In fact, during our next series last month. We were praying about church expansion and all that. And I was just thinking a lot about the early church. The whole last month. I actually got to thinking, why in the world did God use Peter to preach the first sermon on the day of Pentecost? I mean, couldn't you find one of the 12 that didn't mess up that bad, right? I mean, you remember Peter, he stands up on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and he preaches and 3,000 people come to faith. But you remember just a couple weeks before that, you remember he's, he's, somebody asks him, Jesus is being on trial. Hey, aren't you one of his disciples? What does Peter say? No. Then they asked him a second time, hey, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And he says, no. Finally, a third time, he's standing next to a fire, warming himself. And the Bible says a servant girl looks as they're just warming themselves near a fire. She says, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And the Bible says Peter curses God. He curses and says, not me. I want you to imagine Jesus then dies on a cross, resurrects. He's walking around and imagine Peter with the failure on it. I mean, in his biggest moment, he, when the test came up, he failed. So John 21 records an incredible story of restoration. Peter's out fishing and they're not catching anything. And a guy yells from the shore, hey, hey, 
What if you switch the nets to the other side of the boat? <laughs> and they do it. They switch the nets to the other side of the boat. And all of a sudden, the Bible says there's such a big catch of fish that the boat begins to sink. In fact, John's gospel, only, only like a fisherman who wrote a gospel, includes how many fish they caught. 200 and I can't remember, 50, 40 something. He writes how many fish. This is how, you know, like in God's word. And uh, Peter realizes, oh my gosh, I knew that guy who said, cast the net on the other side. Because this is what had happened three years before. In Luke chapter 5, the first time Jesus called Peter, Luke 5, 1 to 11, he said, cast your nets on another side of the boat. He did the same thing, huge catch of fish. And Peter realizes, here's my Savior. The Bible actually says he's so disoriented, he puts his robe on and jumps in the water. He can't even wait for the boat to go to shore. He's got to see this Jesus. And I want you to think of what Peter must have been thinking as he's swimming towards the shore. He's got to be wondering, how in the world is Jesus going to treat me? At the biggest moment when he really needed me, I denied him. I failed. I didn't, I didn't stay strong in my faith. And I want you to imagine as Peter's swimming towards the shore, uncertain of what his future is. The Bible says Jesus is cooking breakfast. Can I get a witness? Come on. Somebody. I mean, Cracker Barrel right there on the shore. And Peter shows up and Jesus asks him, do you love me? Peter says, yes, you know I love you. And Jesus asks him a second time, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The Bible says Jesus asks him a third time, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you know I love me. Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Some people believe that Jesus is kind of making sure. Are you sure, Peter? Do you really love me? Are you really sure? Do you, a scolding parent. No, 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 that's not what I think is happening there. In fact, most scholars believe there, there's a Greek word for charcoal that Jesus is cooking with. And the last time it's been used is two chapters before when Peter and a servant girl were warming themselves around the same fire. And now Jesus has recreated the same fire. How many, the last time Peter would have smelled a, a, a campfire would have been when he denied Jesus. And Jesus is setting, he's setting him up. He's recreating the setting where Peter three times failed him so that Peter can three times profess his love for Jesus. He's not doing it as a way of scolding Peter or making sure. No, no, no. He's doing this so the threefold affirmation of Peter's love for Jesus can, can drown out his previous failure. I'm here to remind us today, there is a God who in the middle of our brokenness sees us with our hoofs up in the air, sees us having made a mistake, sees us having, having done it the wrong way. And he says, hey, I'm here to tell you there is grace unearned, undeserved, the mercy of God. When we don't get what we deserve, we get the kindness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad I'm not a part of a religion because a religion says do this and you will live. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says because of what Jesus has done on the cross, it is my salvation is not achieved. My salvation is received. My, my salvation is not achieved. My salvation is received. And we have a God who restores us, right? How many know we love to restore things, right? Old dressers. My wife was in a, a, a a couple of years ago in a real fad of just collecting crap and redoing it. And we'd be driving down the road. She'd be like, pull over. And I'd be like, why? And she'd be like, we need to load this. And I'm like, it's there. This is trash. 
She's like, no, no, we just I put some chalk. And, and so I'm just, lo- I'm like this, I'm pretty sure that I am in their trash right now, just loading up. But, but you know what would happen? She didn't do this. How many know we love, oh, we love things restored, restored to their original meaning. The greatness of Jesus' message is he has come not to condemn us in our sin, but to restore us to our original purpose in his hand for his glory through his cross. Sinners forgiven and given hope and a new future. The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, but he restores my soul. Anybody thankful this weekend for God's restoration power? He restores my soul. And let me tell you what condemnation is. Condemnation is when you sit in a room like this today or in Richmond or online and you say, no, 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 he doesn't. I'm too bad. He can't. No, that's religion. Religion says by my own works, I can earn. The gospel alone says by God's good grace, an unmerited favor. We can have forgiveness because he has made a way. He restores my soul. And he can restore the soul of anyone. He can bring brand new life. And when Jesus picks the speaker on Pentecost Sunday to launch the church, he picks the guy who hasn't had the best month. Just to remind the rest of us, there's hope and grace and forgiveness in Jesus. Would you bow your heads all over this room and bow your heads in the lobby online in Richmond? You're here today. I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to make anybody get out of their seats. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure of where I'm at in a relationship with God. I'd love to pray for you today. The story of the Bible is that God came to restore us. Not to condemn us, but to restore us. So I'm going to ask you to do something brave today. I won't embarrass you. It'll be just a private prayer moment between you and I. But I'm going to ask you to, in a second, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've wandered away from it, today you need a God who can restore your soul. I'd love to pray for you. In Richmond, Scott's Edition, in Chesterfield County Jail here in Midlothian. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to get my life right with God. I need him to restore some things in me. I'm giving my life to Jesus today or I'm coming back to him. You just raise your hand all over this room. Say, pray for me. Yes. Yes. Yep. Thank you, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Yeah. Thank you, young lady. Yep. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Anybody else pray for me? Yep. Over here. Thank you. Yeah. Over here. Awesome, man. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah. Right here in the middle. Thank you, my friend. Anybody else, would you pray for me one last time? Not to be emotional, just give chance. Anybody, I didn't see you, just raise your hand. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to get my life right with God. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Yep, thank you so much. Wherever you're seated, God hears your prayer. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And if you mean it in your heart, it's not magic words. It's just a cry of your heart. God will hear your prayer, and he'll give you a new start. A prayer goes something like this. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've come up short. I know like a sheep, I've gone astray and gone my own way. But I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me and to rise again to give me a new start. So today I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Would you come into my life and change me? Would you make me a new creature, new creation? Would you give me a new start? Forgive me, change me. And by your grace, I give my life fully to you. 
to follow you all the days of my life. Today, I embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, chapel in Midlothian, I mean, so many, so many people. I just want to say today, uh, the joy of our heart as a church is to help people come to know God. So when you take steps of faith, that's what we exist for as a church. And I want to be the first one to tell you, I'm so proud of you. We, we, we are so proud of you. Come on, let's tell them that. Chapel, we're so proud of you. Come on, chapel, we're so proud of what God's doing in your life. So proud. You got to worship God on the way in. There's a connection card that just says, I gave my life to Jesus or I rededicated my life to Jesus. You can check that box or you can email us. There's a link online. We just want to send you an email and help you learn how to grow in your faith. We're not going to stalk you, I promise. Uh, but we want to help you grow in your faith, talk to you. If you haven't been baptized, that's a great first step. We can tell you a little bit about that. But I just want you to know, I believe literally if you prayed that prayer, you don't even have to have a chapel shirt yet. God welcomes you to his family, and we want to say welcome to the family of God. Amen. Yeah, so welcome, family of God. Hey, um, we're going to pray in just a second, and I know at the end of service, a few more of us are still filling out commitment cards, but I would love to just take a minute or two and just God, give God praise for what he's doing in our hearts and life. Our band's going to lead us in a song for about two minutes. I wonder today if you're comfortable, let's stand all over this room, and let's just declare, come alive in the name of Jesus, and God's doing good things. Come alive in the name of Jesus. 